0: Precision Medicine, is it hype or help, fact or fiction? Welcome to Precision Insight. This is a podcast series where the most influential thought leaders and innovators in healthcare sit with me to chat about the latest technologies and tools of precision medicine. What is coming up in the near future? If you want to know more about this incredibly fast-moving field of research and development, stay tuned. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today um, in our podcast. Um, I'm delighted to have Denise Gianvalvo, who uh, joined the Midwest Business Group on Health in 2018 and leads the team for membership retention activities, member communication and finances. She's also involved in educational programs and research projects. So welcome, Denise. Great to have you.
1: Thank you, Martin. It's nice to be here with you.
0: So, Denise, can you tell us more about the Midwest Business Group on Health? What What is this?
1: Yeah. So we are a 501c3 membership organization. Um, We consist of public and private employers representing about four million lives in the United States, with an annual spend uh, in healthcare of about four and a half billion dollars. Our Our employers are mid, large, and jumbo, so um, it really is wide-ranging. Next year, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary, so we're very excited about that. So We're one of the oldest uh, coalitions in the country, um, and, and we educate employers um, on, per, on um, purchasing of benefits um, to help them make the, the best decisions for health care and wellness programs that they put in place for their employee population. We also conduct employer-directed research, and we have a purchasing collaborative that allows us to leverage the collective to negotiate for products and services.
0: Wow. I mean, that's pretty comprehensive. And a and, uh, 4.5 billion, that's a, a pretty significant amount of uh, lives you'd you're looking after and, and a bit of responsibility there. Um, <laughs> you, you offer a number of toolkits and resources on, on the health benefits um, and health improvements. Can, can you tell us more about what those might be and some examples?
1: Yeah, sure. I'll, um, I'll highlight a few of them that, that we have, um, because I think we have about eight, maybe 10 out there now. I've I've lost track, um, honestly, but um, yeah, so about 10 years ago, we launched the National Initiative on Specialty Drugs, so we have a toolkit on our um, site for that, and through that initiative, um, we created education pieces and resources to help the benefit buyers make informed decisions So we do our best to support the plan sponsor in meeting their fiduciary responsibilities. Uh, And that can be particularly challenging when it comes to pharmacy benefit management. So we've put together checklists for them um, to use during contract negotiations with PBMs. We have um, checklists for designing specialty drug benefits and also when designating sites of care. Uh, Annually, we hold an education forum that's dedicated strictly to specialty and pharmacy benefits. And then based on what we learn there, we will update that toolkit and continue to add resources. So this year, our education forum was on oncology and genomic uh, medicine. Hmm. And so later this year, you'll see... um, Probably a paper actually specific to those topics, and then from that we'll pull out some resources um, that the employers can use uh, and and that'll you know be placed on the toolkit um, so some other toolkits that we launched earlier this year, one is um, migraine in the workplace, and the other cardiovascular disease in people with diabetes. So I don't know if you're aware, but migraine is ranked as one of the 10 most disabling illnesses, which I was really surprised with when we started down this path of, um, you know, working on this topic. And I know employers are surprised as we bring it to their attention. So the Mm -hmm. toolkit is focused on strategies that an employer can deploy within their workplace to support those that suffer with migraines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also to help support the caregiver of those with migraines. Um, and uh, so the employer can develop their own program, they can use an existing program, um, they can make changes to their work environment, and we provide all of that within the toolkit, all of those different options.
0: Fantastic. And, I, and I'm um, mad- yeah. <laughs> sorry, I mean, the, the, the fact that you are providing these toolkits, is probably an indication of why you have continued um, uh, as a group for so long, um, because you're actually providing the resources for the employers that they need to organize the the optimal care provision for their employees. Yes,
1: I I like to believe that's one of the reasons why (laughs) we we make our toolkits available to anybody. So, okay. um, yeah, we, we don't lock them down. We we want them used. They're, um, they're really intended for the small to mid-sized employer because they have a harder time getting their needs met. The, yeah. the large and jumbo employers um, are able to have a team of consultants. Mm. Um, they also often have a larger staff in-house to work on benefits. And um, they also have the, the size behind them, you know, the, the mass yes. population behind them to be able to uh, leverage that in negotiations. Um, so, and, and we know that there are many more small and mid-sized employers out in the country than, than the large and jumbos.
0: I was just going to ask a question about that actually, was that the, the, in terms of the overall uh, employee workforce, uh, is it true to say that there are more people employed in, in small, uh, medium uh, enterprises than in the jumbo large ones? Yes.
1: yes. Yes, in total there
0: it, are, yeah. We're yes. so meeting a, a, a need of the population um, that's but, but really quite, uh, you know, a larger group of the population than the jumbo um, large uh, companies have, which is is impressive, actually. I mean, I think that uh, meeting that need, where you don't, as a small company, have the resources to do that, uh, you know, to employ consultants to check everything yourself, and having a, a clearinghouse where you have authoritative, good data that's relevant to your employees must be very, very helpful.
1: Yeah, and then, and if you think about um, the consultant that is working with these employers and how complex the whole benefit world is, um, they can't be experts in every area, you know, right. as a consultant. So this just helps to, you know, provide additional tools. Like I said, even with, you know, the checklist, helps mm-hmm. the employer ask the questions and and kind of prod the consultant to maybe do a little bit more, right? Um, yes. Or, or perhaps even the consultant ends up learning
0: as a result. Yeah. What do you think the main costs are associated with poor worker health? Um,
1: you know, the, the, that can be looked at a couple of different ways. So the the direct cost, right, for healthcare.
0: care. Yeah.
1: Um, And then there's there's the indirect, So loss of productivity due to Mm -hmm. lost days of work, but there's the presenteeism. So they're at work, they're present at work, but they're not fully functioning. Yes. So perhaps errors are being made or they're just not getting as much of their work completed um, as a result of maybe pain that they're experiencing or just overall malaise.
0: Exactly. I mean, we we see from the healthcare side of things that the costs are, you know, even um, families looking after people. Um, so that if you've got someone who's off sick for uh, uh, injury or uh, disease, uh, and then the family have to take time out of work uh, to take them to hospital appointments or whatever, uh, these indirect costs can be really significant and. And maybe uh, six, seven x of what the direct costs are. Oh uh,
1: yeah, definitely. It's a it's been a big topic of conversation over the past couple of years. What we're doing for the caregiver and the impact that their involvement um, yeah. in taking care of um, elderly, particularly with you know yeah. with our population growing older and um many people having to take care of their parents now um but then we we have the younger ones too um so it's it's you know there's the children with disabilities also that parents are
0: caring for who are in the workforce yeah Yeah. i mean we know that mental health is one of the major probably number one or two depending on the industry uh reason for Uh, taking time off work or not being 100% effective at work. Um, What what do you think are some of the most innovative and effective employer strategies uh, addressing the impact of mental health on productivity?
1: So we just had our annual conference in May, and we dedicated about half a day just to mental health. And one of our employers really stood out with what they're doing, and that's um, AbbVie. They're a pharmaceutical manufacturer mm-hmm. located right here in Illinois, just north of um, Chicago, and they they presented on what they've been doing. They just launched a program, an initiative in March, um, where they have a person dedicated. To helping their covered population navigate the mental and behavioral health system. And they're, they're really focused on the needs for those looking for a provider in a specialized area mm-hmm. because there's already access issues. Yeah. And then when you need someone who's you know highly specialized even if you can find that person, you can't get an appointment with them. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so that's the atten- intent of this program that they launched, is to reduce the wait time that people are experiencing in getting first-time appointments and also the time that they're spending um, finding that person who will accept them as a new patient. Um, so we don't know yet what impact that is having on their workforce because they you know they just rolled it out but we're really looking forward to next year to to receiving an update and then in may with um it was uh, mental health month national mental health month they released a video internally to address stigma and help their employees overcome the stigma of asking for, um, help, um, or even being able to talk about it. And they looked at what disease state or not, sorry, not disease states, but mental illnesses were most prevalent within their Mm -hmm. population. And then had, um, the video done specific to those. Mm -hmm. And it was, really compelling, they played it at our conference, and there were some
0: people in tears. I mean, the, uh, the danger in doing that is actually that you start to enable people to talk about uh, their mental health problems, and actually we start to see the iceberg underneath, and you know, we talk about lack of access to care, we probably are only seeing 10% of the patients um, coming into primary care who are suffering from a level of mental health disease that would benefit from either cognitive behavioral therapy or potentially medication. So while I applaud them doing this, I am also quite anxious because, how do we meet the increased demand If people start to feel confident about saying, you know, I do have depression, I do have anxiety symptoms or or whatever they may be. Um, That's quite a challenge for the system.
1: But yeah, I agree with you. And it's why we just wrote a paper (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, on access and where all the barriers exist. And we, we haven't released it for the public we're using it internally right now with a cohort of employers and some other um, stakeholders in the system where um, you know we're just meeting as a small group right now to discuss and see exactly how we can um, influence change within that who else do we need to bring to the table and what really needs to what happened what is what is what do the discussions need to look yeah. like in order for us to
0: move that needle? Yeah. Yeah. And, and for listeners, that wasn't set up. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, no, we,
1: <laughs> no yeah. we did not talk about that
0: in advance. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm in that clinic, I will see people, and, you know, the, we're having such a uh, it's not because the services have been withdrawn, it's just because they're oversubscribed. Um, and how do we navigate the system for our patients to enable them to get the best care? Um, and, and that does remain a, a challenge. And, and in mental health, you know, it, it's, it, it is very challenging to have enough people to provide the psychological support um, when the numbers of people suffering is so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, agree. I've come to Sorry, a, a final question about how do you see precision medicine being implemented by employers? so obviously a loaded question from our point of view as a, mm-hmm. as a medicine company but but it would be great to hear your thoughts about it
1: yeah, so um you no know, i I look at it as two ways that we could talk about this, and one is the broad sense of um precision medicine. Being about individualized care. So, you know, looking at the, the individual and designing the treatment for them, what's best for them. Um, and in that sense, uh, we are seeing some employers working to remove barriers that allow providers to create those treatment paths um, mm-hmm. that are best for the patient. Um, But then if we drill down further and we go into genomic medicine and determining if the drug the physician wants to prescribe is actually going to achieve the best outcome for that particular patient, um, then I'd say we're really at the beginning of that path because employers don't know when it's appropriate to make that decision um, for a test to be run um and they're not opposed because they see the value in it but they also don't want to be paying for unnecessary tests yes and no, then who's for, who's running the test is that mm-hmm. the right you know lab to be running it um and yeah and so the, you know those are the things that they're considering and and the carriers aren't jumping in to help make those decisions. So I see this as being another area where um, there's, there's a great um, opportunity for innovation in the market, and for vendors to come with direct to employers, you know, with a solution, at least in the you know to help with that decision process.
0: Yes. No, I think you're you're right. I mean, everyone is struggling with this. Um, from my experience as a physician, I would say pharmacogenetics or genomics is, is just one area of information that isn't being used at the moment. Um, we, when we got into this, found very rapidly that uh, liver function, for example, was not being used either even though the information was already available within the electronic medical record, patients were still being prescribed doses of medications that hadn't been adjusted for the liver function. And then if that's the case, adding another test such as pharmacogenetics, what is the likelihood that a physician would, it would use that information if they're not using conventional test information? So, um, you know, this, this process of of choosing the right patient, the right drug for the right patient, It is we talk about it, but it's actually a very complex process. Yeah, and I had a
1: um, physician speak just recently, just a couple of weeks weeks ago, specific to oncology, and they were saying that when you run the test, sometimes it's pages upon pages <laughs> of you know reporting back, and so the um, physician may not read page 41 that has some really important information as to the um, decision to use that specific drug on yeah. that patient. Uh, so it, you know, to your point, it, it really is complicated.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah, the, the, the good thing is that the evidence does exist, the information is out there, even though it's on page 41, the, right. the innovation has to be how do we get that information in the hands of the physicians at the time they need it in a format that actually is relevant to them. Um, so that, you know, I don't think anyone is gonna read 41 pages uh, for each no. Page. Who has time for that, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so how do we do it? And, you know, obviously we thought of ideas, but I think it, it, it is challenging. Um, we've been practicing medicine with newer and newer technologies, PET scans, MRIs, um, all, all sorts of new tests coming along. But when you come to prescribing, you reach for the pen, the paper, and you do it in a manner that was done 200 years ago. Um, And really, we haven't got much further than alert systems in our electronic medical records. So I think time is right to start thinking about innovation in this area.
1: I agree with you. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. The time
0: to do it. And, but of being for an employer, I can understand it. it It can be extremely complicated when people are saying, oh, we've got this really good pharmacogenetic test for mental health, which probably is a very good test for pharmacogenetic drugs in mental health, but do, do I choose it now? How do I know it will be used for the patients in my workforce, et cetera, et cetera? And I think it is It is a challenge for employers. Mm-hmm. And I'm pleased that you're able to sort of take the leadership on this and, and you know, have this sort of discussion and, and in your meetings, uh, you know, help the small, medium uh, employers navigate this process.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's um, it really is a privilege to be a, a part of this and to be able to support them in this manner.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's exciting.
0: Excellent. So, I, I would, well, I thank you um, for your time and for helping us understand a little bit about your role and the role of the Midwest uh, Business Group on Health and, and how it helps employers um, navigate um, the healthcare system and your time. So thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you, Martin. It's
0: been a pleasure.